reading from Deuteronomy chapter 2, uh, two sections, 1 to 15 and then 24 to 31. Moses recounted, Then we turned back and set out towards the wilderness along the route to the Red Sea, as the Lord had directed me. For a long time we made our way around the hill country of Seir. Then the Lord said to me, You've made your way around the hill country long enough. Now turn north. Give the people these orders. You are about to pass through the territory of your relatives, the descendants of Esau, who live in Seir. They'll be afraid of you, but be very careful. Do not provoke them to war, for I will not give you any of their land, not even enough to put your foot on. I have given Esau, the hill country of Seir, as his own. You are to pay them in silver for the food you eat and the water you drink. The Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. He has watched over your journey through this vast wilderness. These 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you and you have not lacked anything. So we went on past our relatives, the descendants of Esau, who live in Seir. We turned from the Arabah road, which comes up from Eloth and Ezion Giba, and traveled along the desert road of Moab. Then the Lord said to me, do not harass the Moabites or provoke them to war, for I will not give you any part of their land. I have given Ah to the descendants of Lot as a possession. The Emites used to live there, a people strong and numerous and as tall as the Anakites. Like the Anakites, they too were considered Rephaites, but the Moabites called them Emites. Horites used to live in Seir, but the descendants of Esau drove them out. They destroyed the Horites from before them and settled in their place just as Israel did in the land the Lord gave them as their possession. And the Lord said, now get up and cross the Zered Valley. So we crossed the valley. 38 years passed from the time we left Kadesh Benir until we crossed the Zered Valley. By then, that entire generation of fighting men had perished from the camp as the Lord had sworn to them. The Lord's hand was against them until he had completely eliminated them from the camp. Then the Lord says, Set out now and cross the Arnon Gorge. See, I have take, given into your hand Sion the Amorite, king of Heshbon, and his country. Begin to take possession of it, engage him in battle. This very day I'll begin to put the terror and fear of you on all the nations under heaven. They will hear reports of you and will tremble and be in anguish because of you. Moses said, From the desert of Kedemoth I sent messengers to Sion king of Heshbon offering peace and saying, Let us pass through your country. We will stay on the main road. We will not turn aside to the right or the left. 
Sell us food to eat and water to drink for their price in silver. Only let us pass through on foot. As the descendants of Esau, who live in Seir, and the Moabites, who live in Ar, did for us. Until we cross the Jordan into the land the Lord your God, our God, is giving us. But Sion, king of Heshbon, refused to let us pass through. For the Lord your God had made his spirit stubborn and his heart obstinate in order to give him into your hands, as he has now done. The Lord said to me, See, I have begun to deliver Sion and his country over to you. Now begin to conquer and possess his land. This is the word of the Lord. I have two dear friends, uh, Kathy and Tim. They are somewhat terrifying in their own uh, personalities. Kathy is a very strong woman, personality-wise, and is good at judo. I've always been slightly scared of her, even though she's a dear friend. She's married to another good friend of mine, Tim, who was in the army for some time. He's six foot three and pictured, uh, built just like you would expect somebody in the army to be built. But there was a moment where they faced their biggest fear. I've got a picture of what they faced just here. We went for a bushwalk, and both Tim and Kathy shared with me their fear of snakes. Now, I don't know if you have a similar fear. I, I mean, I'm not a big fan of snakes, but I'm not overly scared of them. Anyway, we were walking along talking about snakes. No sooner had we started talking about snakes than a massive red belly black snake slithered across the path. It was like at least eight foot long. Uh, they jumped, both of them, and screamed. The snake jumped and screamed. It, well, I don't know if it screamed, but it certainly did jump. And they both headed in completely opposite directions, with me left behind wondering what had happened. See, fear is a good motivator. You don't need extra encouragement when you're, afraid, when you're afraid. It moves you away from things you don't like, often very quickly. And by the way, sometimes this is a good thing. If a venomous snake is chasing you, then perhaps moving in the other direction is a wise course of action. But our fears, perhaps the bigger things in life, beyond just snakes, to the things we really wrestle with, can lead us to ask deeper and heartfelt questions. Can I really trust God in the face of this insurmountable fear? Is God really in control? Not just of the things I'm comfortable with, but the things that make me uncomfortable and challenge me. And by the way, this, this can be international events. It can be the situation in Israel or in Gaza. But it can also be more personal questions. The thing that sits in the back of your mind and gnaws away in the dark hours. The thing that you're worried that you'll lose, and if you lose, your life will fall apart. An exam that you're worried about failing. Financial independence. 
your work, when your doctor tells you bad news? Are these things we fear bigger than God? That, that is often a question we can wrestle with. Well, we are in week two looking at our series on the book of Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy is a sermon, well, it's a, a collection of sermons actually, that, that Moses gives to the people as they're about to enter the, the promised land after a 40-year delay. And the sermon is an urgent call to action. Moses is saying to God's people, don't be afraid. I'm, I've rescued you. I've brought you to the promised land. Now in chapter 1, which we looked at last week, we have a history of Israel's failure. They were terrified of the nations. You can see some of the, the nations up there on the map. They were big and they were scary. They lacked faith and disobeyed God. And chapter 1 acts as a warning of what not to do. And now we come to chapters 2 and 3. So uh, I realised we couldn't give you the whole reading. Uh, it's complicated. Uh, if we were to do just the Bible reading, that's close to 20 minutes. Uh, it's also not our direct history. It's full of strange names uh, for people and places that we have little or no connection with. And Peter read it wonderfully well. Aren't you glad you weren't on the Bible reading this morning, right? The Ammonites, the Rephites, the, the wonderfully named Zamzumites. Do you know these people? Right? They're not kind of our neighbours. All we know of the Zamzumites is that they were a people strong and numerous, as tall as the Anakites. Now, I don't know how tall the Anakites were, but I'm presuming that's tall, right? So it, it, it can be opaque and hard to understand. And thirdly, uh, an issue I've already mentioned previously is it, it has some deeply confronting language. And that language is completely, uh, even more confronting in light of current events. But when we kind of work our way through what's going on and we kind of get through the strange names and places, we have a story that Moses is recalling that is actually relatively easy to understand. I've got a little picture there that helps you. The opening chapters of Deuteronomy are a history lesson. And Moses is recalling Israel's relatively recent history in chapters 2 and 3. And it's history not just to learn about, it's history to learn from. As God's people move up, uh, around the right side of the promised land and come in from the side. You can see I've circled the, in blue circles that the areas that are mentioned in the reading today. Edom, uh, Seir, Edom, Moab, Hezbollah and Basham. There's two kings, that's why the Hezbollah and Basham there in the end of chapter 2 and chapter 3 have little crowns on top of them. Whereas Seir, Edom and Moab don't have a little crown. So it's simply saying it's a little direction, a little road map. That's what we have. Now, so why is Moses referring to these recent events? What is he trying to do by retelling them their recent history? Well, what he's trying to do is to remind them in the midst of their anxiety and fears about God's character. About God's character. And there are three things that are helpful for us to remember as well 
as we face various fears and uncertainties in our own lives. He wants to remind them, remember, God is good. That's the first thing. Remember, God is good. Now, the first three nations that are recorded for us in chapters 2 and 3 and, sorry, the first three, are nations that Moses recalls that they were not to conquer. They're to pass through, they're to pay the locals for anything they need, any drink or water they use, they're to pay for. Take nothing but photos, leave nothing but footprints, that's, that's the kind of light touch they're meant to have, if they had photos, right? They're, in other words, they're not to conquer the land. And Moses will play a little bit of tour guide. He gives a bit of history lesson about each one. They were called this, they were called that. We meet, first of all, the people of Sa'i in verses 1 to 8. Uh, just picking up from verse 4. Give the people these orders. You're about to pass through the territory of your relatives and descendants of Esau who live in Sa'i. They will be afraid of you. You'll you'll notice how this this idea of fear is picked up all the way through chapters 2 and 3. But be very careful. Do not provoke them to war. For I will not give you any of their land. Not even enough to put your foot on. I've given Esau the hill country of Seir as his own. So they pass through Seir. Then they come to the land of Moab. In verses 9 to 14, once again, do not conquer Picking up verse 9, then the Lord said to me, do not harass the Moabites or provoke them to war, for I will not give you any part of their land. I have given Ah to the descendants of Lot as a possession. Then he comes to the land of Amon. Once again, verses 15 to 23, same story. When you come to the Ammonites, do not harass them or provoke them to war, for I will not give you possession of the land belonging to the Ammonites. I have given it as a possession to the descendants of Lot. So for those first three nations, God is very clear, you are not to conquer. You are not to harass. You are to pay for what you use. Why? Notice in each time, it's very clear, God has given that land to other nations. I have handed over, I have given it as a possession, as a possession. That word possession, inheritance, or handed over, it's the same word used when Israel received the land. It's a little hint here that God has given these lands to other nations to show that he's not just the God of Israel, but he's indeed the God of all nations. And God protects these nations and their land from Israel. Israel, even from Israel. It's a hint of further blessing. That's the first thing Israel learned. But secondly, it reminds them that God is good. He will provide what they need. Remember, Israel has been hopelessly wandering around the desert for 40 years. Now, from a human perspective, a purely human perspective, wandering around the desert for 40 years, generally not a positive outcome. It's not in your KPIs as a a nation. Look at us, we've been stuck in the same place for 40 years in a desert. It, It would look like 
in the culture of that day, and indeed potentially now, that, that God has abandoned them. Lost in the desert for 40 years does not seem like a sign of blessing or, or, or provision. It seems like abandonment. But God reminds them in verse 7 of chapter 2, right at the very front of this section, this beautiful verse, the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. He has watched over your journey through this vast wilderness. These 40 years, the Lord God has been with you and you have not lacked anything. Moses is reminding them, God is good. And there are four things in that verse that highlight this so beautifully. You're not a cursed people, no. You're blessed in the work of your hands. You're not ignored in the desert, no. You've been watched over. You're not abandoned, no. God has actually been with you. You're not forsaken. In fact, he, the Lord, has provided everything you need. And as you walk through sea, Ammon and Moab, remember, you don't need to worry. You don't need to fight for what you need. God will provide just as he has for those 40 years in the desert. God is good. Can you see what, what God's word is reminding us here? God is saying to you and me, I am with you in the good times and in those moments when you feel you are in the desert. God says, do not fear, trust in me. You might feel lost, but I haven't lost you. It might feel aimless, but I have a plan. You might feel at your wit's end, but I'm with you. I care about you. I love you. I will provide what you need. What's really interesting is in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, in Matthew's Gospel, it's almost as if it's kind of Moses 2.0, Deuteronomy 2.0, well, Deuteronomy 4 then, right, because Deuteronomy 2, anyway, it gets confusing with the maths. But Jesus says a really similar thing. Do not worry, he says in Matthew 6.25, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after such things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them. But seek first his kingdom and righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. In other words, Jesus is taking those promises and pointing them to us. God is good. Well, secondly, we are reminded that God is not just good, but he's powerful. Which means he can do something about the things we fear. Uh, last week, back in chapter 1, particularly in verse 28, uh, Israel sends out spies to have a look at the promised land. And it looks great, but there's a problem. And, and the spies come back terrified. They are fearful. There's a reason. Yes, it's great, but there are two big problems. First of all, the people. The people are big 
and strong like giants. Now, particularly in, a game, in an era where war is fought purely by strength, if your army are all six foot five and 120 kilos, big dudes with swords, bows and arrows, that is a terrifying reality. If you're told, don't worry, <laughs> you can take them. Also, the cities are fortified. Uh, 128, this is just from last week, it says, uh, where can we go? Our brothers made our hearts melt in fear. They say, the people are stronger and taller than we are. The cities are large and with walls up to the sky. We even saw the Anakites there. The Anakites. They're scary guys, the Anakites. In other words, it seems like an insurmountable problem. It's literally, in this case, their biggest enemy. They can't win. And so they're fearful. That's what really interesting. In chapter 2, the Anakites make an appearance once again. Uh, in verse 10 of chapter 2, in reference to one of the lands, it says, The Emites used to live there, a people strong and numerous, as tall as the Anakites. Verse 21, they were a people strong and numerous, as tall as the Anakites. If you're looking for a football team name or a basketball team name, I would suggest the Anakites, probably worth considering. They are the standard for super soldiers, the Anakites. And the truth is, Israel is too small and powerless in the face of such giants. I mean, David defeated one giant, Goliath, right? This is a nation of Goliaths. But yet we're reminded in chapters 2 and 3, not only did Israel safely pass through Seir, through Amon, through Moab, full of giants who were terrified of them, but they were able to defeat the two giant kings of Sion and Og. Sion in verses 24 to 37 in 24 we read, set out now and cross the, uh, the Arnon Gorge. See, I have given you into your hand Sion the Amorite, king of Heshbon and his country. Begin to take possession of it and engage him in battle. And then in chapter 3, we haven't got chapter 3 because there's so much to read, but if you've got your Bible on your phone or, or somewhere, you'll see chapter 3, 1 to 11 is, is Og, what a great name. The Lord said to me, do not be afraid of him, for I have delivered him into your hands, along with the whole army and his land. Do to him what you did to Sion, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon. And Moses reminds them that they did defeat these two big kings with their big armies. And how did they do it, he's saying. Do you remember how it happened? How did Israel defeat these great kings? Did they have some magical growth spurt? Was there sort of miracle protein powder that fell in the manna and in the quail? Would they do CrossFit or something? Or, no, the answer is they did nothing. God powerfully delivered them. The language is of, I handed the king over to you. I fought the battle for you. Even the huge King Og is no match for God. We haven't got it in the reading, but there's a wonderful verse, verse 11 of chapter 3, 
says, Og, king of Basham, was the last of the Rephaites. His bed was decorated with iron, which is apparently a, a, a sign of power. It was more than nine cubits long and four cubits wide. It is still in Rabbah of the Ammonites. And by the way, nine cubits long is about four meters long. That's a serious, like, I don't know where he's finding room for this thing. It's massive, symbolizing, right, if his bed's that big, how big is this guy? He's the ultimate picture of human power and strength. A man so strong, he needs a four-meter bed to sleep on. Yet this king and all of his fortified cities, which they were terrified of in chapter 1, are defeated. This is 3 verse 4. At that time, we took all his cities. There was not one of the 60 cities that we did not take from them. All the whole region of Argob, Og's kingdom in Basham. All these cities were fortified with high walls and with gates and with bars. In other words, everything from a human perspective is against God's people. They're shorter, they're weaker, the cities are fortified. Yet Moses is saying, remember God was powerful enough to defeat your enemies. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. The Lord, your God, will protect you from your most powerful enemy. See, the temptation is that when we look at our own circumstances, we see them purely in our own strength. And we say, look, there is no way I can face this battle, this challenge. I'm not strong enough. I'm not powerful enough. I'm not tall enough. My enemy is too big. It is fortified. And the answer is, that is true. You are not powerful enough. I am not powerful enough. But the Lord we serve is. Trust him trust his strength and power i love how psalm 46 captures this truth it says the lord god is our refuge and strength our ever present help in trouble not just sometimes help ever present help in trouble Therefore, says the psalmist, we do not fear. Though the earth give way, though the mountains fall into the sea, we do not fear. Verse 7, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Verse 10, he says, be still and know that I am God. And I know I've mentioned this before, but when the Bible says be still, it's actually not talking about a quiet, tranquil moment of solitude. Those things are important, by the way, but that's actually not what's being said here. It's saying, stop, look, stop it. Stop freaking out. I've got this. I've got this. Do not fear. I am with you. I'm holding you. I'm caring you. I'm protecting you. Do not fear. God is not only good, he is powerful. Which means, thirdly, remember that God keeps his promises. 
in the, in the, towards the second half of chapter 3 in verses 12 to 17. We are given details of the distribution of the land taken from these two kings, from Shion and Og. Now, why are we told this? Why are God's people told this? In other words, what's happening here is Moses is giving the people tangible evidence that God has fulfilled his promises. He promised that they would be a numerous nation. They are. He promised that they would have their own land. And here it is. Look, it's already happened. Two and a half tribes have been allocated their promised land. God is fulfilling his promises. The conquests of Shion and Og show that that neither size nor strength nor number are any kind of obstacle to God's sovereign grace. It's a bit like, here's one we've prepared earlier. You want to trust God? He's already fulfilled these promises. You can keep trusting him. He keeps his promises. Do not fear. God is good. God is strong and powerful And God always keeps his promises. And so Moses tells God's people to remember those stories of salvation, of rescue, of provision, to prepare them for their life with God. What about us? We can look at that story, but as followers of Christ, we have a far greater and more powerful story to remember. A deeper story of sovereign grace. So on the next slide you'll see a more powerful story. See, there is an ultimate story which shows God's goodness, God's power, and fulfills ultimately all of his promises. And that is, of course, the story of the Lord Jesus Christ. The story of the gospel. That Jesus came and lived and died for us and he's been risen to life for us and will return to set everything right. That is the great story that we remember. A much better story. A much more powerful story. Because we remember in the midst of our fear and anxiety, Jesus' goodness. He gives us the things that we desperately need. His love, forgiveness, eternal life, a church family. And we remember Jesus' power. See, Jesus has defeated our most powerful enemy. Forget a guy with a four-meter bed. You could probably pick one of those up from Ikea if you look hard enough. Um, Jesus defeats sin and death itself. Our biggest enemy. The thing which we as a church community this week feel the pain of deeply. Jesus defeats our biggest enemies. And Jesus' promises are astonishing are astonishing, and he always keeps them. He promises that he will always be with us and that nothing can separate us from his love. No circumstance of your life can separate you from Christ's love. 
No fear, no enemy, no stress, no life event can separate you from God's love for you in Christ. And we need to keep coming back to that and remembering that fact. John Donne, the famous poet, priest, and lawyer said, the art of salvation is but the art of memory. The art of salvation is but the art of memory. We need to keep remembering the great gospel story. As Paul writes in Romans 8, 31, what then shall we say in response to those things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? The great gospel we need to be reminded of is that God's love for you is, if you're doing your exams now, it's exam proof. God's love for you is future proof. His love for you is sickness proof. His love for you is death proof. Jesus' love for you is not confined by time or space. Jesus' love for you is not challenged by the spiritual or the material. Jesus' love for you is not limited by your weaknesses, by your past failings, by your sins. Jesus is eternally good. He is eternally powerful. And he is eternally trustworthy. Remember, nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Let me pray that we will be a people who remembers that great truth. Gracious Father, we thank you for the book of Deuteronomy, which we know is challenging, but also speaks powerfully of your goodness, your power, and your sovereign grace in keeping promises. Father, may we remember your eternal goodness to us in Christ, providing all we need. May we remember the eternal power of the cross and resurrection, that our sin has been forgiven and that death is defeated. And may we remember that you are the God who keeps his promises. That in the midst of our fear and sadness, that you will come and make all things right. Father, great is your faithfulness. May we remember that truth always. Amen.